Hi, Bobby here. It's time for me to update you on Danielle being away from the show. As you know, between catching COVID twice at the end of last year and having a very hectic festive season, she took a break from the show and has since been going through some big life changes. And so in the interest of her mental health, has taken the difficult decision not to return to this side of her work. You'll never hear me downplay just how much goes into our podcasting and all the campaigning, so I totally understand and support her decision. Of course, I'll miss having these conversations on air and sharing our joint passion for ending mental health stigma, but the strong friendship continues, those conversations continue for us, and I'm so, so grateful for all we've got to achieve together. If you would like me to pass on your well wishes to her, please drop an email to mentalpodcast at icloud.com. Pete and I are taking some time to refresh the show, so whilst the episodes will continue as normal, Danielle leaves behind some big and beautiful boots to fill as one of the truly most magnetic and uplifting people I've ever been lucky enough to meet. In recognition of her influence, I had to reshare our interview with Michelle Williams today. So thank you for listening, for supporting us, and please enjoy this fave of ours. This is Mental, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. I'm Bobby Temps. I'm Danny Hogan. Each Thursday, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. With special guests and stats you can trust, here we go. This week, we're talking all about checking in with Michelle Williams, which (laughs) now I hear that sentence out loud, I'm like, it sounds like we're talking specifically about checking in with her, but we're actually talking about checking in as a factor in your mental health generally with Michelle, who the listeners may know from her time in Destiny's Child, career since then as a gospel musician, or indeed her new book, also called Checking In. So I guess the book is where anyone can go and check in with her specifically. So to start off, we've got some stats from the Mental Health Foundation. The first one is a 2016 review of depression prevention, a condition that Michelle has experience of, uh, which found that prevention programs are associated with a reduction in depression diagnoses and depressive symptoms up to 12 months following the program finishing when applied on an indicated basis. However, programs delivered to universal populations were not found to have that impact. So I found this particularly interesting because essentially what it's saying there is that when prevention programs targeted at depression were rolled out for people where they maybe had a few initial symptoms but not a diagnosis, there was a really clear impact to potentially them not having the symptoms build up to a diagnosable point. And so this is particularly interesting to me because whilst we're here working to reduce stigma for everyone so we can all feel empowered to speak up and get the help. And I guess that really speaks to the work that we did through mental health education, where, you know, whilst those reforms were going on and we were giving feedback on what the the education for England and Wales would be, we were always trying to hammer home, you need to name the conditions, you need to use phrases like mental illness, not just like well-being, which is so much broader and not specific, like unless the specific conditions are addressed, whether that's them being talked about, whether that's symptoms being explained, or prevention that is is more intervention, that is more tackling the symptoms as opposed to talking about them and giving that sort of more informational side. Without that, there's not necessarily the same impact. And so I found this really impactful that Yes, absolutely prevention, but prevention that is specific, that talks about the conditions that someone may be experiencing, because otherwise there's a risk that you go too broad and it doesn't have the impact. And I guess we try and do it by, whilst we're broader, we're specific about the stigma. I think you're absolutely right. When we think about prevention, there's a whole scale of what's classed as prevention. So I think a universal approach is cool when we think about just having conversations and raising awareness and talking to young people and 
in schools and just bringing the conversation into an environment where it rarely ever sits. That's prevention to some extent, right? Because we're talking about, we're trying to get people just to start thinking about things in a broader sense. So yeah, so I think, yeah, there's so many different levels of prevention. There is the right thing for the right environment. And that goes exactly to what you're saying in terms of we need to be specific and tailor the prevention to align with whatever condition it is that we're starting to see symptoms of, absolutely. And also, I find it really hard for them, you know, I can imagine it'd be really difficult for them to measure the latter. Like to measure, in the study that you you brought up at the beginning, that they're able to see a decrease maybe in the onset of depression, maybe some more severe symptoms. Even trying to measure that is really tricky, right? Yeah, and yet you can really see the logic of it, right? So if I think of another example of something taught in schools, nutrition is such a bigger part of the curriculum now than when I was at school. And that's something where, you know, we can so obviously see with so many examples like that where the specifics are needed. Children are not going to get as much out of a class where nutrition is talked about as this broad thing where it's really good for our health and it's important for living a healthy life. There has to be an element of that includes fruit and veg, you know, not fast food every day of the week. You've got to give people the specifics that is going to impact them. You know, it needs to link to the audience you're delivering this to and it needs to be specific. Don't shy away from that. For sure. And actually, another bit of information from the Mental Health Foundation really hammers at home. So they found that in England, early intervention and home treatment for mental health problems can reduce hospital admissions, shorten hospital stays and require fewer high-cost intensive interventions. So not only is that really incredible how much impact the intervention can have, there's also this can potentially result in savings of up to £38 a year, it says. So prevention that so ironically can be an afterthought that so many people get really bad and then people are wondering about what could have been done sooner. Well, actually, doing things sooner, potentially, even if it's costly, could still be saving money for the NHS and other support services. Yeah, saving money and saving lives. Like, why don't we... It's don't obvious, right? <laughs> and even when it comes down to supporting parents, I think is a huge thing, you know, or anybody that's a support or a carer of somebody in the home with somebody that might be experiencing symptoms. Like, when we're thinking about prevention, even reaching out there, like the impact then that those people around somebody can have that who are so often overlooked, but absolutely critical when it comes to the rehab, if you like, or supporting somebody not to get worse, massive. Mm -hmm. And that's some of the favourite emails I like to receive is when people get in touch and they've sought out the podcast because someone close to them has had a diagnosis. And so they've gone and found specific conversations and resources where they can learn more. It just warms my heart. Yeah, I love that. And so we should get on to talking about our guest, the wonderful Michelle Williams, who we had a really broad conversation with around the importance of checking in and really along sort of similar lines of what can be done early on to support people. And she came in with such energy on that call. Like we were really looking forward to talking to her, but it almost took me aback. She came in sort of so pumped. I think we were her seventh interview of the day and yet came with such a level of energy and enthusiasm. And so it was a really uplifting chat, even on, you know, elements of her life that have been very difficult. And in particular, I was really glad we got to discuss some of the experience of fame specifically. You know, that's not something we've looked at, and I think it can be overlooked. You know, I'm sick of people being surprised when those in the public eye experience mental health problems. But there is this mentality of they would somehow be so, you know, comfortable or shielded or something, you know, or they'll get all the best support and therefore that wouldn't happen to them. But of course, as Michelle says, I think in the interview, this can just affect everybody. There is no insulation from mental illness. And if anything, you know, oftentimes being in the public eye can make things worse. You know, part of her talking about depression for the first time was as a way to own her narrative 
because things were being leaked to the press. You know, she spent some time in a in a hospital environment and she spent much of that terrified that somehow the press were going to get to her or that, you know, one of the staff members might be paid to divulge information and she had her curtains closed most of the time just in case of long lens cameras. You know, she says often, if nothing else, think of the vitamin D she was missing out on. You know, she was feeling even more trapped in herself because she felt trapped in that environment and then even went on to check out early from that facility for fear of being hounded. And that's a level of stigma and intrusion on people's lives that needs a voice. Well, absolutely. And you brought up so many points there, Bobby. <laughs> I don't even know where to where to begin because that the fame thing in itself is a massive thing, conversation topic. I've always felt really strongly about this, that whole terminology about what list you're on, that A-list celeb down to C-list celeb. Like, what the hell is that? What does that do for people? All of a sudden, now I'm a bit of a D-list celeb and I've got to go to a restaurant and say, this is my name and I was on this. And- you know what? I looked it up and apparently I'm E-list. So it normally only goes A to D, but some people acknowledge an E and that's where I live. <laughs> oh, please. Thank God. You actually looked it up. That's the the thing of it. Oh, my God. I just think, like, people recognising, like, what this might be doing to people. But anyway, like I said, that's a whole different thing. Rewinding a little bit to the beginning. Yes, we did have Michelle Williams on the pod, who is part of the amazing Destiny's Child, who was the absolute theme and music to my whole becoming of a woman, teenager, the whole thing. For years, they were so successful for so long. And me and my girls have danced on bars in Ibiza (laughs) and in our kitchens and (laughs) to so many, if not probably every track they've ever put out, I probably know all the words to. So I was just so amazed. And and actually, after we'd spoken to her and I shared it with my friend who is a nurse, she was actually currently out first time with nurses and doctors and some other clinicians having their first dinner after work drinks since we've come out of lockdown. And she said, oh, you know, my friend has just finished interviewing Michelle Williams on the podcast and she's always raving about our show to whoever it might be. But this one, I think, was extra special because she too has been dancing along with me for 15, 20 years. And she said, but do you know what was really special and really, really cool about it? The context in which she was on and what you guys were talking to, she said, and that was what, although obviously we're all like buzzing and everyone was a little like, wow, it's amazing to bring that conversation and bring that to a group of medical practitioners at dinner and to say she was on there talking about mental health and prevention and acknowledging her own story and sharing that with the world. They were just like amazed by that and, you know, I guess loved her even more and all like, oh, you've got to share a book. You've got to share a book. I want to buy a book. So I just felt really proud that not only it's somebody that I've enjoyed and has entertained me for a long time, I just felt so connected to the fact that she was talking about a topic in the area that we work in all the time. And, you know, she, like you said, brought so much energy. Her vibe was amazing and we laughed and we got serious. And, it was, it's, you know, the listeners are just going to absolutely love the episode. Maybe I'm biased, but I thought she was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. She was brilliant. And I have no doubt she'd be delighted to hear that that conversation we had, even before it's aired, is already sparking conversations like with your friend and her group, because that's that's what it's all about, you know, getting these conversations going. Yeah, and shining a light on the reality of mental illness. And I think that's part of why the fame piece is so interesting to me because she's talked about in past interviews how many people have tried to explain away some of the things she's gone through as, oh, well, your life is wonderful. You've got all these achievements. How could you have depression? And as we know, it is not that simple. And that really worries me, how easy it could be for somebody to internalise that and think, I don't need the help. And even, you know, one of the times she shares when she was going through the rehearsals for the Coachella reunion of Destiny's Child and going in, doing all-day rehearsals and going in for all-day rehearsals weeks, even months ahead of that event and the strain that took, that on one hand you're, you're rehearsing for such an incredible reunion and everyone's so excited and it's a reminder of all that you've achieved, but at the same time, such an exhausting experience to go through 
So then I wasn't surprised to hear that then when that was over, she she found herself coming down quite quickly because perhaps she was running on the adrenaline that much and was really pumped by the environment and all the encouragement. And then you get to the end of it, you realise how exhausted you are. And now what do you do? You know, when you had that many, that much time of like all the rehearsals and then you're just at home for the day thinking, huh, what was I doing before? This was so filling my life for this period of time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she'd gone through similar, you know, some personal struggles as well, hasn't she, which she talks about in the episode. So I was really surprised that it was around that time. And I think listeners will be too, you know, 2018. This is like three years ago. We're coming up this summer. The fact that it was so recent, you know, I felt even more in awe of her for then only being a couple of years on from probably what was one of the darkest times for her to be out here sharing with the world. But again, but she talked about living in her purpose and I absolutely love that. To look at it in that way in terms of the strength and the power that going through that shit can give you. You know, at the time it might not feel like it. We will be having these conversations and being as connected as we are to each other, to our listeners, if we hadn't been through those times. You know, they like my stripes and it's hard at times, but, you know, this is what makes me who I am. And when you start thinking about it like that, I feel proud and I felt proud of her for doing what she's doing. Yeah, 100%. And even that is an example, right, that with all we know, it's always a journey when it comes to understanding mental health, because even with the context and understanding that we have, you can still be surprised that somebody's struggling when on the outside things are looking so good. And so very grateful to have this conversation, get to sort of, as always, explore the reality of mental illness. And it's not straightforward, it's it's fuzzy and it's messy, but there's learning in that. There's learning in unfuzzing it. (laughs) And so with all that said, we'll get into the episode with Michelle Williams in a moment. But first... Who's our sponsor? Let's find out. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, my name is Michelle Williams, and I would say I noticed symptoms of depression starting around the seventh grade. Isolation, I wanted to isolate. I was sleeping a lot. My grades were dropping. And if it wasn't for a mentor that helped me get through that seventh and eighth grade year, I don't know what would have happened. And at that point, what was your level of awareness? What did you think was happening Mm -hmm. to you? I just thought maybe it's hormones. I'm going through puberty. Maybe it's just what happens when you grow up, Mm. you know? At the time, I'm like, you were only in the seventh grade. It's not like you were in college or an adult. But we can't discount or minimize even what a 12-year-old is feeling. Yeah, and and I can see why you'd think that, right? It's really common that you're getting warned about mood changes and how hormones might affect you. And so you're straight away going to think... Yeah, that's what I thought. what it is. And the worst thing Mm -hmm. is... It can be both. That can be making it worse. Yeah, because you feel like if someone is depressed, if you have no knowledge of it, you're like, something tragic must have happened to them. Something must have tragically happened in their family. Or sometimes, I mean, I was bullied growing up. So that can contribute because it's like, does someone not see me as valuable to where they'd talk to me like that? They'd pick on me that way? You know what I mean? And so that can be a contributor to a person feeling depressed. And so around this time, you're starting to notice things are different. Were your family and your friends noticing as well? I don't think so. No. I think now people are paying attention more because the topic of mental health is at the forefront. But back then, they might have just been like, oh, she's just moody or this is what being a teenager is. You're independent. (laughs) They don't want to hang out with 
grandma and mom anymore. They want to lock themselves up in the room. They want to play video games all day. Or for me, it was learning words to Whitney Houston songs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now if I had children right now, I'd knock on their door. I'd peek in. Everything all right? Is there anything you need to share with me? I notice every time you come home from school, you dart into your bedroom. How was your day? I'd bring myself down to their level. I'd humble myself as a parent, go down to their level. How's it going? What happened? Anything I need to know about? Because you want to create safe places for your kids to be able to talk to you. Mm -hmm. At what point did the mentor that you mentioned come into that? I think the seventh or eighth grade. And we keep in touch to this day. She goes to my church. Her and my mother talk frequently because my mother just lost her husband. Her name is Miss Portis. She lost her husband a couple years ago, so they bonding even more over that. But I just saw her. She brought dinner to my home, to my mother's house when my dad passed. She helped cultivate me even musically. So she's been a part of my life for a long time. Karen Portis is her name. So did she notice that you were acting differently? How did she become involved in supporting you? Yeah, um, I, I believe I went to her about it. And there was a program called Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Because she was a teacher at the school. So she was mother to many. Sometimes you have that one teacher in school. Everybody just feels safe. If I could have went home with her, if she could have adopted me, I'd have said, I'm going to live with Miss Portis. But there were a group of mentors called Big Brother, Big Sister that I would go and talk to every now and then. And that's what helped me even get my grades back up because I had no business failing, but my grades were just dropping. And just for a child to have somebody to talk to, grab a burger with, maybe they don't tell everything that's going on with them. But it's just that moment of feeling safe. Like I can, if I have to, I can open up to this person. Yeah. And that can be so helpful as well, having that third party. Mm-hmm. You know, you can feel a resistance to telling family, you know, what are they going to think? You know, yeah. my grades yeah. are already suffering. Are they going to take issue with if I bring more problems to them? And so having mm-hmm. someone that's outside of the family. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they're not biased. They're on the outside looking in. They can see everybody's point of view. You know, they can see your parents' point of view, but yet they're gentle enough to understand a child's perspective, too. Mm -hmm. And so then you're growing up, you're getting on top of your grades more, your music that you've already mentioned, that interest was continuing to grow. Was there another point at which your mental health was really challenged from there? I would say there was a moment in college where it was challenged. But once again, it's being honest I noticed my track record of checking in with people, saying I'm starting to sleep a lot again. I'm starting to withdraw again. There was a financial advisor. She wasn't even a therapist, but she helped point me in the right direction of where I needed to go to be okay. Then after that, I started doing music professionally. And that's when the resources really begin to open up too. When you're able to afford the counseling, that's first and foremost. But the great thing is, even in college, I've been doing some research, and even when I talk about mental health in colleges, there are resources, even in university, like certain universities and colleges will offer maybe even up to 10 free sessions in a year. A lot of people's jobs offer mental health resources, some counseling. Insurance will even pick up certain amount of counseling, but you don't know until you maybe find the resources. So I think that's why it's good that mental health is at the forefront of conversations because people are also discovering resources more so now, obviously, than when I was in the seventh grade because it was such a secret or taboo or you felt like people that went to therapy were quote-unquote crazy. You see people in straight jackets in movies. Be like, oh, yeah, they definitely need the help. Not me. I'm normal. No, normal people go through tragedy and transitions. You don't have to just get therapy because something tragic happened. You can get therapy because you're, you don't know how to transition from this job to the next. Or your parents got a divorce. 
You don't, it doesn't always have to be something eerily tragic, mm-hmm. you know, for you to process something with someone. Yeah. And I think we've come a long way on that, but there's still so much to go, you know, and mm-hmm. that's something that... I agree. To me, that's what's really crazy, is the idea that there's no in-between between someone needs to be locked up, as it was portrayed in these old movies, and everyone else is fine. Like, those are the only two options. Of course you're going to be terrified of that. And even nowadays, there's there's still elements of that where you see even a lot of the better portrayals of mental illness in the media mm. can still so often define that whole person's character arc. You know, if someone in a movie has a mental illness, that becomes the whole thing motivating them. That becomes the main thing you know about them. And so there's still a lot of progress we need to make about, okay, where are the characters that live with depression and get help at times and are better at other times? Where's the nuance Mm. that actually most of us are more in that realm? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Lately, I've just been making this just a part of what I do daily and weekly, not waiting till something is going wrong to talk to somebody. For the past few months, me and my therapist, sometimes we just talk about what we ate <laughs> last night because I don't have anything going wrong at the moment. A couple of weeks ago though, I felt the familiar feelings of depression. I started explaining to her what I was feeling. She said, you're not depressed, you're feeling pressure because the book, is it gonna do well? Are people gonna like it? It felt like releasing music all over again. Are people going to like these? I wrote these songs from my heart. You know, I feel like I wrote this book from my heart. How are the first week sales going to do? Because my book publisher, we have a great relationship, but at the same time, it's business. Was it worth the investment? You know, I'm feeling all these things. She said, you're not depressed. You're feeling pressure. So a symptom of depression could be feeling overwhelmed, overworked, tired. So the word press is in depression, right? The word press is in pressure. So you're feeling pressed with pressure or depression. So that's why it started to feel so familiar. And I was like, but I've been doing the work. I've eliminated (laughs) contributors to depression. What's going on? And she was like, you're okay. Calm down. But it took the tools for me to be able to learn how to check in with myself to be even self-aware. So when we had our session, I could say, okay, let me just tell you what's been going on this week, you know? But it took me having the tools to say, all right, okay, you're happy, okay, or you're sad. And it's okay to even check in, even if you've been going to therapy every week, it's okay. Listen, if you look at the news, you'd be sad, you know? But it's me making sure I'm not internalizing it. I'm still having empathy and compassion. But as they say, observe, don't absorb. Mm. Yeah. And even with what you've said there, you've highlighted the the danger of that extreme thinking we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that you're sick or you're well. And so for you, because you've been through such difficult times, you can then see the symptoms coming up and think, oh, am I going to get to that really dark place again? Mm-hmm. And that's a place I don't want to be in. That's why I'm campaigning and championing mental health so hard because it's like, I know what it's like. It does get better, but it takes you deciding to invest in yourself and not expecting other people to do it for you. It's like, okay, recognize patterns, recognize certain responses. Why is it every time a relationship comes along, you get anxiety and you push it away? What's the root of that? Why do you not feel deserving of love? You can give love, but you got a wall up and you don't want to receive it. There's a root to every behavior. When you peel an onion back, there's so many layers till you finally get to that ugly root. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm interested, if you don't mind sharing, in one particular time when you really did reach a very difficult time and you went and got support where you checked Mm -hmm. into a facility. Do you mind sharing a bit about... What Mm -hmm. what was happening for you leading up to that and what that experience was like? 2018 was a bitter, sweet year, you know? January of 2018 is when I started feeling the symptoms of depression. But at the same time, I was in a sweet place because I'm in Coachella rehearsals with Beyonce and Kelly. Like, 
So I knew those hours in the day, it was going to be amazing. But when I would go home, I just, it was sitting in that pit. I get engaged and I'm like, gosh, I got to tell him what's really going on, but he's already proposed. I've already said yes. Gosh. But that's why putting on that mask, people thinking everything's okay. Maybe we would have taken things a little slower. So by the time July 2018 hits, I can't take it anymore. I'm deep in that pit. It's so dark. And I'm like, all right, I'm not feeling safe with myself. And I'm a homebody, so I like being home by myself. So when I'm not feeling safe with just me, I knew, like I said, I said the three words that changed my life. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I'm trying to function. I'm trying to cope. I'm trying to use the tools. And I wasn't in therapy consistently because what I was doing was I was waiting until something was wrong. And then I felt like, here I go. I'm calling a therapist when something is wrong. So I didn't even reach out. I, was, I stopped reaching out, you know, because it's like you got to apply the tools that they're giving you. Why are you paying all that money? So you can't tell me nothing now. Since the end of 2018 to now, it's fitness, faith, and therapy. Mm-hmm. That's what's keeping me going. And it's been consistent. It's been consistent. Like I said, I don't care if I don't have nothing to talk about with my therapist. We are checking in. <laughs> How's it going? Because she might hear something I say and be like, uh-uh, now wait a minute. Why'd you respond that way? I know we're talking about food and you went out on a date or something, but why'd you respond like that? So she'll check me. Sometimes she'll check me while, while I'm checking in. <laughs> like, <laughs> why would you say that? <laughs> she said, because I noticed, let's work on that. Let's iron that pattern out. Let's get that wrinkle out. Yeah. And that's so important, like you say, to have that ongoing support, you know, to You preempt. need it. Yeah. And, and I just encourage people because we have apps for everything. <laughs> now there are apps for therapy. There are apps for processing pain and trauma. You know, get off social media, Maybe lessen how much you're scrolling and lurking and invest in you. Yeah. I'm not preaching. Now I'm sounding like my parents. <laughs> get off the video games. Now it's get off the phone. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's all worth considering, right? You know, we have to go through that process through our yeah. lives, each of us, to figure out what are the things that make life easier and more difficult. And it sounds like when you describe your experience in 2018, that you'd gone and had support, but you'd also had a lot of pressure to be the star, to go out and perform and put on a brave face. And the pressure to be a good woman, the pressure to be a good wife one day. Like I said, it was putting on that mask again. And then I go and be on the mask singer. Who does that? (laughs) (laughs) And one thing that I found very moving hearing you talk about this in past interviews was how that did affect your relationship. And you alluded to it a little bit earlier, how you got to a point of thinking, this isn't what he signed up for. And that's why I didn't say anything, because I was like, okay, you're going to get through it. Sneak and go to therapy. Do something, because this man been waiting for love He said he noticed some things, too. He did notice it. He shares in the book what he was noticing. And we just have to be brave enough with our loved ones to not just notice it, but address it and say, honey, what's going on? I notice you're not moving the way you used to move. I notice you're not taking care of yourself. I notice you're being a little more snappy in how you respond. Is everything okay? Is there something I've done? If not, you know, if it's nothing I've done, what's going on? You know, so our emotions are dictated by our circumstances and relationships with others. If you look up the word emotions, relationships play a big role in your emotions. Yeah. Your circumstances play a big role in your emotions. Your mood plays a big part of your emotions. So check in with the three of those. For sure. And an emotion I'm really thinking of as you describe this situation is fear. That it sounds like Mm. on one side there was, you know, the fear from Chad of, oh, 
if I point certain things out that I'm noticing, if I say that your behaviour is different, are you going to be upset with me? Am I going to make you feel worse? And then on your side of it, you're wondering, well, if I tell him how I'm really feeling and if I tell him that I'm worried that you might leave, then are you going to leave? Yep. So much fear. You know, I talk about fear in the relationship. When you make decisions out of fear, it's never going to work. Just let's, let's amplify courage. If I'm engaged to somebody, it's obviously because I also love their heart and I know they're not going to do me any harm. So if they're asking me a question, it's not to do harm. But it took me, after the engagement failed, to realize that. So now, going into another relationship, if I'm going to say yes to someone from marriage, it's because I trust them with my heart and I trust their heart. So when they're asking me a question, it's not to bring me down. It's because out of true concern. Mm-hmm. It's, but you got to put pride and humility. What you mean you noticed something? Whoops. Whoa. 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 <laughs> and even something I can definitely relate to you on is you mentioned in your podcast how you've a history of being a fixer that someone brings you a problem and before they've even finished explaining it, you're already there with 10 solutions. And that's not always what somebody needs. And oftentimes, you know, they either just need to be heard out and listened to or at least hear them out first, right? That's so right. See, my passion to fix is because I know what's been working for me. Oh, therapy's amazing. Or girl, just eat an ice cream sandwich. That's what I do. And sometimes, (laughs) just listen. And if they ask you, hey, what are you doing? Then that's when you go and give them the suggestion. I mean, that's something I've really had to learn, you know, and the ability to sit with somebody. And I realised that part of the reason through, realised this through getting therapy myself, part of the reason I struggled with that was, A, I wanted to fix it. You know, I, I cared, I felt for them. So I was like, let's quickly fix it and then you won't be upset anymore. But also a big element of that was, other people being upset was resonating with the sadness that I was pushing down. Mm-hmm. Bobby, that's some good stuff. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, therapy, it works. And I see that all the time, right? You know, when I think about the stigma, I think the two biggest causes are lack of understanding and things that other people are pushing down. You know, they're explaining mm. away that issue in them. So they're going to try and explain it away in you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's so true. And when you talk about the stigma, I mean, I I see it lessening and lessening and lessening. Everybody is now talking about mental health, which is good, which is a good thing. But really, let it just not be a conversation we have in passing, but let it be because you want the dysfunction. You want it to stop with you. You know, I want it to stop with me. Now, I also learned that a lot of women on my, the maternal side of my family have dealt with depression, and some of it was situational. My aunt had a baby, but it was stillborn. She was depressed for a long time, a long time. Sometimes depression is situational, meaning something happened to you, you experienced a loss, but you just don't know how to cope with the loss. It's so heavy. It's, you know... Uh, that's that's a form of trauma, an experience that you don't know how to cope with. That's trauma. So I'm learning that. So I think the dysfunction of how to cope with depression, I think it can stop with me. Confront it, get the help you need, be brave, so that now I will identify it if it happens, you know, in my children or people that I love moving forward. I hope I can have a part in the dysfunctional part of coping to stop here with me. Yeah, it's true. And it's something I think about a lot because like you say, the stigma, it is getting less, things are getting better. But I think even more powerful than that, we may not be the generation to get rid of stigma, but we might be the generation to bring up the next in a totally different way. That's so good. I mean, can you imagine, I plan on being here while I'm 90 years old. And I can imagine a more freer world in thought and mind. Not that dysfunction is not around us. It's how we're choosing to respond to it. Maybe I'm thinking we're going to live in a utopia. I don't know. But that's what I see. (laughs) (laughs) But you need that, right? And, you know, if nothing else, 
hopelessness is a symptom of depression. It is. So I'm never going to judge you or myself for hope. Come on, Bobby! <laughs> yes, honey, she's like, yes. <laughs> but this is the thing, right? You've, you've got to try and find these other ways of looking at it, right? Because if we just go with how everyone else has been talking about mental health, even the people that talk about it very articulately, so often that's coming from the point of view of stigma. You know, so often that's coming from the point of view of lack of understanding. And we're trying to do the best with that. And I'm interested in that next place, right? Like one thing I'm training myself to stop doing is I'm sick of saying, oh, well, we would treat it differently if it was a physical health condition and giving an example as a way to justify it. And actually, I'm done doing that. I don't want to justify it off the back of physical health anymore. It's an Mm -hmm. illness. That's enough. It doesn't need to be compared with anything. That's it. That's it's enough. And we're going to amplify bravery. And there's an organization called Silence the Shame. And the woman who discovered Outcast and developed Outcast, her name is Shanti Dodge. She was a former Def Jam executive, quit that world, and is now just advocating for mental health. So the other day we were talking and they gave me an award. Actually, it's, it's right here. Silence the shade. It says for impacting lives around mental health and wellness, right? So we were talking about silencing the shame around mental illness. Now we're going to amplify it and uplift bravery, courage. We're going to silence fear. You know, we're going to amplify boldness in this area of mental health. You know, going to continue. But that's coming from the perspective of hope, right? Not judging, not judgment, just from the perspective of hope. So I'm so glad you said that because it made me it made me think of silencing the shame surrounding the area of mental health and people not talking about it. It's like we'll talk about going to the gym, we'll talk about heart health, we'll talk about diabetes, we'll talk about lupus, we'll talk about so much. But girl, how you really doing? I'm struggling in the area of my mental health. Make it as normal as talking about the other ailments I just mentioned. It's part of us, you know? Yeah. And I know that one thing that's made having these conversations more difficult is the attention around you. Do you mind sharing a little bit around what fame has been like to endure Mm -hmm. in terms of your mental health? But equally, were there there pressures behind the scenes in terms of Mm -hmm. what will happen to your career if you talk more about depression? Will that affect bookings? Were those Mm. conversations ever had? Mm -hmm. I never had to have the conversations. There were just thoughts swarming in my head, like, will I be considered a liability? And it's like, there is a lane for me to talk about this. As of now, nothing has been affected that I know of. I don't know what agents in my management have talked about. Nothing has been brought to me like, you should probably stop talking about this. But even my speaking engagements, they're coming through my agency. I'm getting more speaking engagements than musical stuff. So that must mean I'm making a dent. I'm making some impact in that field of mental health. I was nervous, like, but I I feel so passionate about this topic. I feel like I'm in my purpose. And there are risks had when you really, truly, daily decide, I'm going to walk in my purpose. It may not be what you know me for, but there's a whole world of people who need this message. A whole slew of people. I mean, I'll slide some music in there, you know, to wet people's app, you know, palette, you know, and make people excited. I'm not going to I'm not going to abandon the lane that got me here talking to you today. I'm not going to do that. So I'll give you a song or two. (laughs) But I think that's such a good balance. Right. And that's something that I would imagine you've had to practice throughout your career. You know, that there may have been pressures of, you know, there's the gospel music. What about you do more pop songs in order to, you know, that that maybe is what a certain proportion of people know you for. So I I imagine there's been so many times where you've had to say, okay, no, this is what I want to do. This is what's Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. It's authentic to you. Absolutely. I mean, my last album, Journey to Freedom, to me was a perfect hybrid of pop and gospel. I worked with a producer who was mostly known for his work in pop, Ariana Grande, uh, in R&B, Fantasia. So many people that he's worked with. And so he's actually from the UK, Harmony Samuels from Tottenham. 
And but he was a person of faith. And so I was like, okay, if you listen to the music sonically, it sounds like music that could have been on a Destiny's Child album, you know, but then the content is more of faith and hope and inspiration. Mm-hmm. You might get twerk to it a little bit, but like, am I really twerking to when Jesus say yes? <laughs> <laughs> yes, honey. However you want to express yourself to my music, no judgment. <laughs> Danielle, are you see you must be the one twerking. Uh-huh. <laughs> Danielle's just dancing in the background on mute. <laughs> I love this. I love it so much. But no, that sounds brilliant that you're finding ways to bring all these different parts of yourself into your work and you know. Because it can book. be done. It can be done, you know. I'm excited to have a team that's helping me streamline things because there was a part in my career I felt like I was all over the place. But now it's starting to make sense. Brilliant. And the book certainly makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's brilliant. A lot of, obviously, your personal experience and history that people can relate to and the practical things that you've done to get through it. And given Mm -hmm. that we're talking about checking in today... I'm interested to check in with you on one final thing to wrap us up. And that is, as of recording this, the book's coming out next week. So so how are you feeling about that? I'm feeling so good. Like I said, I had the butterflies. I had the anxiety. But now I have so much peace. We put the work in. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And it, it will fall into the hands of who it's supposed to. Even after the book is released, I'm not done talking about it. So this would be something I'll be talking about for a long time. And my publisher, they've been like, you're going to be talking about this till 2022 because I have a journal coming out called The Daily Check-In. It comes out in 2022. I got the final manuscript for The Daily Check-In literally days ago. You know, once we turned it in and, you know, they give it back to us with edits that they make, that just came in. There's this version that just came. It's a version that can only be found at Target. It's a limited edition with journal and prompts, but you'll get like a external, a different journal that's in hand as well, Mm -hmm. besides the one that's just in the back of this Target edition. I don't know if y'all are familiar with the store Target, but whenever you release music or books, they want their own exclusive, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to say what album was that with Destiny's Child? I think was it the Survivor album? We had to do like a special song or something just for Target. So when I was I wasn't surprised when they wanted their own limited edition of other content in their books. So I was like, all right, Target, I get it. Well, that's it. You're an old hand at this stuff. And there I was Listen. thinking, you know, the book's coming out. There's things, you know, you've you've been talking so openly, but there are no doubt parts of it that you've not talked about yet. You know, there's just so much in this book. And so I thought, you know, maybe she's going to be nervous. She's going to wonder, like, you know, this is a powerful book, but is there going to be any kind of backlash? Are people going to be questioning what I've said about my life? And here you are being like, oh, no, I already am on to the next one. What a professional. Once the book went to print, I was like, I can't take nothing back. (laughs) It is what it is. And I haven't said anything that I can't square up with and confront, acknowledge, and keep it real about. I haven't said nothing that I'm ashamed of. And so I know I have family members that might think I share too much information, but I'm comfortable with that part of me because I wish more people were open with me growing up because sometimes that generation before us, they're used to keeping things a secret. Well, that's why there's so much dysfunction in your bloodline. Because everything's a secret. Everything's a secret. Now, I don't believe in you airing out your dirty laundry to embarrass or make someone look bad. You know, but if there is a way you can dress it up to say, hey, I kind of went through that, too, when I was growing up. That's all a child needs is to know that they're not the only ones going through this or don't make them feel ashamed for going through something, you know? Yeah. Can I just say at this point, especially, Michelle, in the black community mm. at the moment with what's been happening, but it's just made us reflect even more and with, in our community, the shame and the stigma around mental health is even more so than what we see in the wider population. Yeah, I will say that I thought therapy back in the day at the 70s, I thought it was for rich white people. 
I didn't know black people went to therapy. And actually, it was Beyonce's mom, Miss Tina, who inspired me to go because she was in therapy. She had put her children in therapy. I was like, oh, black people go to therapy? What? <laughs> and so, or like I said, you, we were taught you go to counseling if you witness something tragic, if you were in the war or if you something brutal or tragic happened to you versus, okay, well, maybe what, what if I witnessed abuse? What if I was verbally abused? What, 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 what about that? There's yeah. counseling for everything. Mental illness does not have a race associated with it. It doesn't have a class of people that it associates with. It can touch everybody. And the more and more we see, especially of the, say the folks who die by suicide, the names that we know, it let, lets you know it doesn't just hit poor people middle-class people, rich people. Because when you strip away all of our success and our money, it's our humanity that's left. It's our physical that's left. So it does not matter what money you have. It doesn't matter what race you are. Because you take all that away, you still have those hurts and pain that you didn't process. So true. And what a way to wrap up. If people want to find the book, it's out in the States on the 25th of May. And in the UK, it's the 24th of June. Although I believe we can get the audio book at the same time as people in the US. You can get the audio book. You will be able to get autographed copies, literally, y'all. There are thousands (laughs) in my living room right now. Let me let me go get you the stack. (laughs) Stand by. (laughs) Stack of what I'm signing for everybody. That's half of the stack. So. So do you just get given the page then? Is that how it works? So there are six labels on Ah. here that have to be signed. And because we're not doing in-person book signings, there are certain outlets and bookstores where, you know, they'll get the, the autograph label. It's me doing the signing, guys. It's me. <laughs> okay, so I anyone bought, was wondering, I, we've seen it. I bought, I bought 80 Sharpies, okay? It's me doing the <laughs> signing. That's what I'm doing. I literally just sit and watch television after my interviews and just sign, 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 sign. Yeah, so there you go. If you get a bit of the plot of Grey's Anatomy written in yours, that's an exclusive. <laughs> well, lately it's been Handmaid's Tale, so... Oh, if you if you if it if it says under his eye, just know I was watching Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> or Blessed Be. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much. Listen, it's been a joy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk. And remember, we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by NetSky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday. And remember, you are enough.